You're listening to Sports Content Strategy with Mr. Richard Clark. When I first worked under Reg Hater, one of the first lessons I was learned was play the long game. Don't stitch up your contacts. Be loyal to people. And for every one story you write, there might be 10 you don't write or you don't pass on. That's how you build up trust. And everyone who works for haters now is able to, first of all, be a journalist, to recognise a story, be able to tell a story, so to write, have new sense. But also they will be able to use a video camera to one level or another to film a press conference and also to edit that content to distribute it on every sort of conceivable level. It's still why we at Haters get two or three emails a day saying, can I have some work experience? Can I have a job? I just want to be involved, involved. Have you got any advice? And my usual advice is, have you ever thought about a different profession? Because this is a bloody tough business to get into now. There's so many people want to do it and there's very, very little money. Having said that, that's exactly what people said to me when I started out. Are you prepared to work for little or no money for two or three years? Are you prepared to go to Orient Reserve on a Wednesday night? and sort of prove yourself into that and yes, yes I am. Hi there, my guest this time on Sports Content Strategy is Nick Callow, he's the MD of Haters Sports Agency. Now as someone who still considers himself a sports journalist by heart, these sports agencies are interesting because when the industry sneezes, it tends to be them who catch a cold. They are servicing the industry, filling in the gaps in their capabilities, so they're very sensitive to the demands of newspapers, websites, broadcasters overall. And this is an interesting chat for me because I was in charge of content strategy at a major football club in the period of time where social media first developed and the distribution methods entirely changed. So what I did at Arsenal had a direct effect on them and affected their business strategy. So it's a bit of a learning lesson for me. You can find Nick and Haters Sports Agency via the show notes. You can find me, Mr. Richard Clark, on all social media. Also, Sports Content Strategy is out there on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. So without further ado, let's talk about running a sports news agency and let Nick introduce himself. So I'm Nick Callow. I'm the managing director of Haters Teamwork Sports Agency, which was recently rebranded as Haters TV. So I've been a sports journalist for the best part of 30 years. Haters will be celebrating its 65th anniversary in a, in a year or two and was set up by the great late Reg Hater as a, a service to the newspaper industry, really, going to football matches, cricket matches, sports events, providing copy for newspapers. He also acted as an agent for people like uh, Basil Dolivera, Henry Cooper, Ian Botham, Bob Wilson, Arsenal. He was one of the first sort of football agents and had loads of contracts to supply newspapers and the newspapers were unrivaled in terms of sort of content. You know, there was radio, but very little sort of sports TV, and Haters was a, an institution in Fleet Street, just off Fleet Street. And many, many, many current journalists still have come through the Haters ranks, learned their trade, and are now sort of sports editors, sports correspondents, TV presenters, TV producers, head of ITV Sport, and, and, and so on. I've been running the agency here with a guy called Jerry Cox since 2002, um, we had a separate agency ourselves for about 10 years called Teamwork before the two merged together. We still work for the newspapers and magazines and websites and write books. But increasingly now, we've, our focus is on broadcast media because the newspaper industry is struggling so much. And we do a lot of social media content too. We cover every every event. And we'll be at the, the World Cups and the Olympics. And, and we'll be at the 
the smaller matches just down the road as well. So you covered a lot in that <laughs> intro, but Nick, just tell me, mm. what is a sports agency, I suppose, and where does it fit? Because you're traditionally you've fed newspapers, and newspapers mm. have got their contracted journalists and staff journalists and, and their dukes and their scufflers, as yeah. they would say. Um, so where did you fit in the old newspaper model and uh, and how has it changed in recent years? Mm. It's, it's interesting because if you say to someone you're a sports journalist, they say, well, what paper do you work for? Or what TV station do you work for? And then you say, well, we're an agency. And they say, oh, well, you're a freelancer now. You say, well, actually, no, we're, we're employees of a sports agency. Maybe like a sort of a press association or a Reuters sort of a wire service, but it's much more bespoke. So in terms of the newspapers, as you say, they have their certain number of staffs. But when there's when there's a, events going on, whether it's a, just a pre-match press conference or a Premier League game, or a big Champions League final, they've only got so they've only got limited resources and increasingly limited resources to cover every angle of that event. So we're filling in the gaps. So if there's a Champions League final like Liverpool Tottenham recently, we'll be at the ground, we'll be filming videos, getting reactions from fans, getting reactions from older players. We'll have someone in an office newspaper doing a shift there to mop up the stuff there because they need someone extra in the office because everyone else is out out at the game. We'll have we just we, we sort of fill in the gaps. We'll be generating our own reaction content, prediction to the match, follow up to the match, trying to sell that into the papers as well. But generally, we will get a phone call from a newspaper saying, "Have you got a man at this event today? Because we can't get someone there, or we've got someone there, but he might need some help because it's developing into a big story. Sammy's just been sacked. We need it's going back page inside spread and stuff. We need more help. Can you do the ratings for the match? Can you do the marks out of ten? So in many ways, you're doing the the fill-in work and, to a certain extent, the dirty work yeah, and expanding and contracting mm. around the needs of the major media organisations and, and let's stick with newspapers. Yes, and for a, and for a, a media organisation or a newspaper, it's cheaper to engage agencies or freelancers rather than it is to just employ people on the off-top with all the national insurance and associated costs of employing people cheaper just to pay an agency or a freelance a flat fee for a one-off job and that's their you know how their economics work and one of the reasons i want to talk to you is because i've been in obviously the same game came through as a as a as a, a local newspaper journalist sports journalist and then worked for dailies and, and nationals and then moved to arsenal but we've seen huge changes in digital media obviously in the last 15 to 20 years um, but especially in the social media world and it seems that you're at the forefront of that because if the newspaper industry which is the media that's arguably most affected if that expands or contracts or it's in profit or it's not in profit or the business model is being affected you're going to be at the sharp end of that because you're mm. expanding and, and contracting in relation to that so what have you have you seen you, you've been in the agency game what the last 15 to 20 years yeah, so, longer so even, yeah. yeah so broadly speaking what have you know, very quickly what have we seen and where are we now well it's been one of um for the newspaper side of our business it's sort of a bit like the newspapers themselves sort of managing decline really you know when I was younger and we sort of started out, Jerry and I, we could quite happily go to sort of football matches or press conferences and have six or seven national newspaper orders. That could be something like a, a Chelsea a Chelsea pre-match press conference, say with Glenn Hoddle or Rouge Bullet. There'd be very few staff guys there. There'd be no TV cameras, no Sky. So you And you really had to have someone there, the newspaper had to have someone there asking questions, 
on their behalf because they couldn't pick the stuff up anywhere else. We've now got so much, so much content from social media, internet sites, radio that you know you might ring up the newspaper. I wouldn't mention them. Say, do you need coverage of X press conference tomorrow? Oh, don't worry. No, it's it's only going to make about eight to twelve piles in the paper. We'll pick that up off the club website or off the radio, and that's sort of. You know that's not a not to the credit of the newspaper industry that they're just happy to fill space with any old he said sort of quotes sort of story. Um, that's not to say that newspapers still don't invest in sort of quality journalism. Of course they do. But when when we saw the newspaper, the print side of the sort of the business decline just because they weren't commissioning us or anyone to to do to do more to write more words, and they were laying people off, replacing them with cheaper, younger journalists. We started to realise, and Sky Sports had come along, that there was demand on the newspaper websites for video. So we would go along to these same events with cameras and, and film the press conferences and before and after matches, film interviews with players and, and fans, and sell that into the newspaper websites. And for a while, the newspapers were putting all their budget into websites. That's, that's the future. The web, the web is the future. And yeah, we'll buy your video, we'll buy your video. And they, and they were giving it away for free, weren't they, at the time? They were giving away for free, yeah, but they were paying us for the for the videos. And that was, you know, the organisation, like the Mail, you know, bought this, built this beast of a website, which is one of the most visited websites in the world still today. They were spending a lot of money on, on video with us. They don't anymore. Which websites are you selling into? Because it used to be newspapers, but, but how have your clients changed, I suppose? That's the... Well, in terms of words... Um, are words important well no I mean I I was talking to uh, I went to see the British premiere the Maradona documentary last night which is an amazing film and I recommend it to anyone whether they whatever their views on Maradona or or football are at all it's just a fantastic piece of work and a a leading um, football website was partly involved in sponsoring it and putting a show on last night and I was along there with an old mate of mine who's a film critic and he was talking to these guys. He used to be a sports journalist, and he was he was asking about their website. He said, "What do you do? Come, you know, who does your match reports?" Because we don't do match reports. Why would we do match reports? And this is one of the biggest, most commercially successful football websites in the country, if not in the world. And they don't do match reports, and because they're on the BBC, just people are. The perception is people do not read match reports anymore. They just watch the highlights on their phone. Or if they're an Arsenal fan, they just. They'll know where to go on Twitter to watch the goals and they might watch the highlights. They might watch the, the stream live and there just there seems to be less of a demand for, for match reports here. So has the word counts gone down that you've been asked for? Oh, and has yeah. The, has the, the price that newspapers are to pay for the reports gone down? The, the prices um, have gone down in sort of real and uh, you know, in, in every sort of sense of the word. So what they're paying now, they were probably paying more 15, 20 years ago, pound for pound. And it's just because there are so many, there are so many people want to be sports journalists. It's still, I mean, I don't want to come across as a moaner here because it's still the one of the greatest professions in the world, getting paid to watch sport, to be up close and personal with the sort of sportsmen and women that you admire and you would pay to go and watch anyway. And you're there to sort of tell their story and be part of that event. It's fantastic. It's really, it's, I still get a buzz off it and... It's still why we at Haters get two or three emails a day saying, can I have some work experience? Can I have a job? I just want to be involved, involved. Have you got any advice? And my usual advice is, have you ever thought about a different a different profession? Because this is a bloody tough business to to you know, get into now because there's so many people want to do it and there's very, very little money. 
Having said that, that's exactly what people said to me when I started out. You know, you are you prepared to work for little or no money for two or three years? Are you prepared to go and go to Orient Reserves on a wet Wednesday night and sort of prove yourself and do that? And yes, yes, I am. And that's the only way you can get through it. And and it seems to me now, and maybe it was the same when I started, that it's sort of leading to the detriment of the profession to a, a sort of white middle class male environment because the guys who can afford to become sports journalists now they have to be sort of living at home with their parents to be able to sustain themselves on the startup because wage. no one's going to pay you enough money no one's going to pay enough yeah I mean you know the starting wages in national newspapers are, are getting closer to what local papers were paying sort of 15, 20 years ago um, there is uh, there, having said that you know people organisations like the Football Rights Association are making big efforts to make sports journalism and football writing more inclusive more women more people of different ethnic minorities and it's slowly changing but it's really slow rich you know it's a big big sort of sea change and um some people only are, are refusing to go onto tv shows or podcasts or radio programs unless there is a sort of a, a balanced representation of society and the profession involved which for me can only be a good thing the route to a national newspaper used to be Local paper, yeah. regional, and then an agency such as Ahitas mm. would be in the middle, and then you go to a national, and then nationals having built up a relationship with someone who'd been knocking it out of the park at, uh, at, at, at a Haters or a PA yeah. would pluck the best. Um, is that still the case? Yeah, that that is still still the case to a greater or lesser extent. Um, there's still new new faces coming onto the scene every season, every football season. Um, I mean, as you said, alluded to earlier, you know, the local newspaper network is shrinking and shrinking and you get one guy will be turning out a copy for multiple titles. You know, the Arsenal correspondent might be, his copy might be going through sort of 10, 12 local titles that just slightly change the masthead from what I can see. So there are fewer people to, to pick from, but they're still, they're, they're still the breeding ground and us, you know, we... One of our guys, Simon Collins, has just left us recently to go to the Evening Standard. Um, you know, people still leave us to go to national newspapers and other roles in the media. We're still a stepping stone for sort of young, up-and-coming journalists. But we're trying, to, we've always tried to keep the best people to sort of, to grow with us. And which is why we are focusing a lot more of our attention now on our sort of social media. So we're actually presenting our content to the consumer, not just to the business, not just to newspapers, magazines, websites and broadcasters. So that's an interesting take because... Then maybe that's another thing you want to talk about. Well, well yeah, it's like you were talking about mm. the fact that you may or may never have a, a new announcement. Um, it's whether you want to talk about it. But yeah. the point is that you've always been the people behind the scenes, even to the extent of some of the work that you've done would appear in a national newspaper under a COD name, which yes. is a false name, yeah. or occasionally under proper reporter's name mm. who would claim it. That's happened in the past, mm. right? But there, but you are the guys who are not public-facing. So are you flipping that around to a certain extent? Yeah, we want people to be more aware of um, of our name, Haters, Haters haters TV, because outside the industry, we're not known. You know, I don't think the average sort of kid on the street, they might know the sun, the sky, sports, talk sport and the times and so on, but... You know, we've, we've launched a, a YouTube channel which has now gone from about 30,000 subscribers this time last year to 135, 140,000. That's getting 6 million 
views a month, which to me, these sort of numbers are sort of, that's, that's, that's quite a big number. Is, is that just a brand build? Are you trying to make any well, money of that? Or is it yeah, just no, yeah, brand? well, we, we were just, when we started doing the broadcast work, we just used YouTube as a sort of a shop window. We'll just put all our content on there. So what do you, so if we're talking to broadcasters or websites, well, what do you do? So we're going to have a look at that YouTube channel. It's all there. And then slowly we realised actually people were subscribing to the channel and wanting to look at these press conferences and commenting on them. But we were then switched on to the idea, well, actually, maybe, and there's all these people making money out of YouTube, maybe if we put a bit of care and attention to it and package it properly, and they're just our ways of making people more attracted to your YouTube site, we'll, we'll sort of grow the audience and you can just, we didn't even turn on the monetization button. There's just literally a, a button you can click on the thing that says monetization on or off. You press it on, you get those pre-rolls, annoying ads that come up, skip ad and so on. And there's a, there's a revenue stream to be had from that. And uh, But they are annoying ads. <laughs> they, they are annoying, so that, yeah. And then, and then there's, you know, the, the, the other sort of business model after that is to get a sponsor. Then all the ads go because you've got your yes. advertising there. And some people don't want to be associated with certain products and gambling, you know, um, is a sort of controversial subject, but it's it's sort of keeping sort of football alive to, in some extent, in terms of sort of shirt sponsorships and and social media and so on. So I've got personally haven't got a problem with it. So, so are you? Do you, do you want to talk about that new development? You've done? Yeah, well, we're 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 still very much a service here for the newspaper industry. You know, I was in at the Mail on Sunday offices on the night of the Champions League final. We had two people out in Madrid doing newspaper work for Liverpool against Tottenham. There's someone else sort of filming for newspaper websites at a fan park in, in Croydon. And we had someone else at home sort of editing this stuff and sending it out just, just for the newspapers. So we still very much want to be seen as the 12th man there. But we want to grow into other areas where we are seen by the sort of public as a one of the first ports of call for engaging social media content, whether that's on Instagram Twitter, Facebook, and and YouTube, and we think we can we can do the two. We're we're, we're attracting some new investment. We're, we're employing new people with more sorts, of, you know, younger people, people that can teach me a trick or two, hopefully, who can edit engagingly and create original content. We're making our own TV shows. We're making we're going to make documentaries. We're currently filming and editing a documentary about Arsene Wenger's years at Arsenal, which we hope to have ready for sort of publication release before he comes back into employment. Well, I don't know when people are going to be listening to this, but it could be he's, he's already taken a job in Qatar, Timbuktu, or in Paris Saint-Germain, Real Madrid, or back in Newcastle or something. Who knows? But and, and so where do you see a documentary like that landing? Is it a Netflix? Is it an Amazon? Well, I think an ambition for us certainly is to be, we would like to make sort of long-form sort of documentary. As I said earlier, I saw this Maradona film last night. That took two years two people two years daily to edit long days so in our profession how can you devote two years to editing it's it's just incomprehensible it's It's different I mean that guy that guy who's doing that he did Amy he did Senna yes and he's got a certain style he's he's produced brilliant documentaries and I'm desperate to see the Maradona Mm. video as well but that is that's a different model to you because he's going so deep down he has to get different footage you guys yeah, it's it's sometimes three hundred words on the Premier League's best haircuts and stuff like that. Yeah, and yeah, sometimes yeah, yeah. what I'm saying is, I'm not saying your stuff is 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 superficial. It's what the market demands. But mm. what what I'm saying is, 
So to, for him to stand out, he's got to go real depth. Yeah. And you're going breadth more, right? Yeah, I mean, what? I mean, maybe I'm sort of underselling this. I mean, what we have with our years and years and years of experience is the you know we have the access to the events, we have the access to footballers, to the, to the managers, to the tennis players, whatever sport you want. We're there. We're we're behind the scenes. We can get up close to them. We can ask them questions and go where you know the fans can't go. So if it's this Wenger story we want to tell, for example, we can interview. All of the leading journalists, half, you know, John Cross, Henry Winter, Amy Lawrence, they all used to work for haters at one stage or another. Not Amy, actually, but, you know, they're, they're sort of part of the haters' family. So they're quite happy to sort of talk to us and share their stories, sometimes, you know, some very interesting ones about Arsene's career before, during, and, and after Arsenal. And then there's the, you know, players, people, you know, we, we, we know Lee Dixon very well, and Anna Smith, and Ray Parler, and people who, who know what it's like to be with them, and the fans who have followed that journey too. So we've, you know, Nigel Winterburn, Kevin Campbell, we've inter- interviewed quite a lot of people. We can, we've got access to people. We can produce original, authentic content. It's not just sort of 300 words on the whistle for this. We do that too, but we would like to expand into other areas as well and really make the most of our fantastic access to the, to the sporting world. But of course, people like me, in mm. charge of Arsenal's content, yeah. I was a threat to your access. Well, not me personally, mm. but... Well, you but, were actually the, the, personally. <laughs> <laughs> the body I represented, because, well, yeah, but filming press conferences was that something that, that I, uh, at Arsenal, and that's not about Arsenal, mm. but any club, you would want to protect that. So how has club media snipped away at your Yeah, business? well, this... Uh, and don't get personal about me, please. Well, I'm going to start with personal. <laughs> it, it actually, sort of, in a way, it tells a story, because when... We started out, there weren't clubs didn't even have press officers, let alone you know, internet sites were just sort of beginning a bit. Um, and when they did, when, when Arsenal came, when Arsenal launched their website, they came to us to say, can you produce reports, match reports and news stories for the website? We'll give you access to the players, the training ground. We don't have anyone in-house who's capable of doing that. And if you remember, we drove up to Old Trafford in 2002. You and me, yeah. Yeah, I drove the car. And when Arsenal won at Man United to complete the Arsene Wenger's second double, and you were on the Hammond High at the time. Hammond High. Yeah, sports editor there. And I vaguely remember, I might be wrong, sort of having a conversation saying, I can, I used to do all the match reports. It was a labour of love for me as well. I think, I, said, this, I think this could be the last, I think we're going to lose this gig after this season I said and you said why is that you do a good job I said no but Arsenal are increasing their in-house media team and it just makes sense for them to just take it why outsource it if they can employ someone to do it and, and own all the content <laughs> and and amazingly the, the new editor they hired was uh, none other than you Richard Clark it, well, well, yeah but just to square <laughs> off that story um, I had a conversation with the head of communications at the time in Islington Town Hall when they were parading the Cups that year and that led to me because I was freelancing on the Telegraph mm-hmm. and the Independent and working for the Hammond High and then I, I I jumped I jumped ship and started August 1st 2002 so mm. yeah that was it was in that period of time that yeah. everything changed it was ironic time. that you were the sort of cat, not the catalyst but it was your appointment there which directly led to us losing that yes. contract at yes. Arsenal because Correct. they had no we were no longer needed yes so the expansion of in-house media teams had that direct effect on us as well. We used to supply lots of words for the Tottenham monthly magazine, Chelsea's monthly magazine, West Ham, Crystal Palace. We used to do a lot of work because the same publishers owned those titles and then clubs took them all in-house. And, and employ- you know, the, if you go to a press box now, half of it seems is taken up by the in-house media teams. 
You know, Arsenal have a whole bench of 10 people and they're the last people in the press box, in the press room after a match, editing up things for all their different social media feeds yeah. and matching quotes. And it's incredible. You know, they're media organisations in their own. But as right. a team, as a, as a as the managing editor of, of all the content, not just the digital, but the TV and, mm. and other parts as well, that's that's what you want because you are using your advantage to get that stuff out yeah. quickly. My job was to get my team to get that press conference out before anybody else, and that mm. includes an agency, mm. because we should have advantages. We should have advantages yeah. because we're at home. It's a bit different when you're away from home, but when you're at home, we should have advantages. We yeah. should be get, getting that up quickly. I saw that as a competitive sport, and part of my job yeah. was to grow our audience and monetize that audience, you know, as long as we're offering value. And part of it was to, was to basically, there was an element of... Mm. That's our stuff now. Mm. Because, bear in mind, I should say, not our stuff now, because it didn't exist before. No. So it's not like anyone had, it, had any claims on it. What about fans' channels? Because that's the point of YouTube. You, mm. you can film something on your phone outside the ground and get it up very, very quickly. And we've seen that happen. Obviously, Arsenal Fan TV is a great example. But there's Redman TV, mm. and there's United Be Stand, and all those guys and girls. Where does that stand? Does that Has that hit you at all just because... Part of your job no, yeah. is to to get the voice of the fans. Sometimes, yes, yes. Has I, I think it's. I think if anything, work? it's it's helped because if we're producing, if you take those sort of fan channels as examples, if people are going to them to watch the fans' reaction at the end of them watching a video on YouTube, it might suggest, oh, if you're interested in Arsenal, go and why don't you go and watch Unai Emery's press conference talking about the same game now, and that might link them to to our channel. It's just building up the interest in the social media and it might be fans of Arsenal Fan TV will see something we've produced and share it amongst their own sort of network and their own community. Do you ever see a situation where those fan channels, having built up such a great audience, might get in to those press Well, this is the one thing, yeah, because I mean, we have had talks with some of those fan channels saying, well, you're standing outside the ground talking about what Arsene Wenger or Unai Emery has said in reaction to this victory or defeat. Why don't you use the press conference content as well and then you can react with it. but that doesn't really work it doesn't work for us and it doesn't work for them either I don't think I think that to grow sort of channels and communities it's very tempting to sort of share what you've got to sort of give it away to get make, make people aware of you but like you said uh, at the clubs you, you really want to sort of own that own that. Why, give, why give everything away you know we've seen that with it just doesn't make sense does it and yeah, I mean, that part of that is is monetization. Yes, mm. you want to make money, and there's nothing wrong with making money as a as a if you're a football club, as long as you're offering value, as far mm. as I'm concerned. But the other thing is, clubs in- increasingly want to control the message a little bit more, yeah. as well. How have you have you found that? Because you need that access, and yet sometimes to get the story that your clients are are asking you for might involve butting heads. So it's still a relationship yeah. game, isn't it? It's yeah. I mean, there's um. Without sort of ruining the Maradona film for anyone, there's a, a great, and this is almost inconceivable, there's a great um, clip of the press conference when he first goes from Barcelona to Napoli. It's his unveiling press conference. He's out on the pitch doing some juggling the ball and there's 80-odd thousand fans there cheering, Diego, Diego, and he gets hustled into this little sort of press room and it's just chaos. There's hundreds of photographers and people just shouting, shouting, and the president sort of finally gets calls for calm and goes, right, first question. And the first question is, Diego, how do you feel about playing a club that's effectively run by the mafia and you're being paid by the mafia and all these guys are part of the mafia? 
and he can't really understand the question because he doesn't speak Italian at the stage. And the president just goes, what do you think? I've never been so insulted. I'm like, get out of my press. It's just a, almost a fist fight style. That's the first opening question. And as you know, Rich, most press conferences you go to over here, the first question is, is there any tea news? Have you got anything nice to say about the opposition? And maybe after a while it might get to a slightly controversial question. But, you know, we have to all maintain good relationships with clubs to have to maintain that access. And that's always been a difficult path for journalists who cover football in particular or any sport in for, for a living is how do you sort of maintain that level of access but also retain your journalistic integrity? And I think clubs... I mean, there was obviously the era with Alex Ferguson and United who were banning people sort of almost every week for anything he thought was inappropriate. I think clubs are much more open to being question now but they do want to control the message they do want to control the message and the fear would be if clubs decide we won't have any press conferences we'll just put our own contact we'll, we'll interview Unai Emery and we'll give you a video and we'll give you some words because it will be bland because it will be because it'll be it'll be just sending out the, the club's message and I just you know it's a difficult harm because having said that you know, there are very few sort of personalities in sport now who will speak the, the, the truth or they're a version of the truth and give you any sort of straightforward answers. It's a, and it takes a group of journalists picking away at a manager or a coach or a player, asking questions to get them to open up and sort of, and to be the conduit to the fans. The fans want to know what's going on at the club. They want to know why so-and-so is playing, why so-and-so is not playing. Is he injured? Is he out of form? Are we going to buy anyone? Are we going to sell anyone? What's going on here? And the fans do not have that access. Arsenal Fan TV, for example, are not allowed into the changing rooms, into the press conferences to ask those questions. It'd be carnage if they did. And I would argue that they might not know quite how to ask the questions best to get the best information out of people running the sport. Say you get a scoop. Say you get mm. a scoop. It's not an order from anybody, but your contacts give you a scoop, a major... Yeah. A major story, um, whatever that may be. How do you handle that? Is are you creating an auction? Are you giving it to somebody? Yeah. Are you? How would that end up in the newspaper? Because that's 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 your value. That's what you're selling. Yeah. So if you did have a big story, which might be say in our sort of context, a manager is going to be sacked, or a, a big player is going to be signed, or some bust up somewhere. And assuming we, it's a hundred percent rock solid story. That we know that the participants won't mind if we're going to say, no, we're not going to upset anyone, but we've just got good, good information. We obviously want to maximize the money, but we also want to, we'll be loyal to the, to the, the, the clients that have looked after us, I think, and we're now going to handle it in the way that we want to. So if we've got a particularly good relationship with a newspaper that's given us work over the years or a broadcaster that's done that done that for us too we'd be much more inclined to ring them up and say we've got a good story for you here what what do you think and do you hand it over do you just give them the tip and then their reporters do it or, or what? well if we've got the, all, all the stories sort of you know start begin, start and start to end then that's yes send it in they would might tickle it into their own sort of style and obviously the sub-editors would write the headlines and so on what if it's a story that is going to annoy some people it's going to upset people because they're the juiciest stories right yes and yeah and that's the most valuable content right it is yeah and as an agency you know when i first worked under reg hater one of the first lessons i was learned was play the long game don't 
don't you know um, stitch up your contacts be loyal to people and there will be for every one story you write there might be 10 you don't write or you don't pass on that's how you build up trust and relationships and get good stories and in the long run those 10 that you just sort of pass by and throw away will be more than made up for the one good one that really comes your way that um, people have given you or pass that information because they know that they can trust you to hand that information sensitively and not stitch them up you know, it's a constant battle. You see a lot of people sort of crash and burn in this industry by just wading in, get one little tip and a bit of information, and they, they splash with it, or they go or they go trying to stitch people up, and they are quite quickly found out and sort of hounded out of the business because they're just not trusted. You have, have to build up trust. Can you stop tapping the table, by the way? Because <laughs> it's going to come through on my recorder. Um, <laughs> I might leave this bit in. I don't okay. know. It depends right. if I can edit out all the bumps that okay. <laughs> where you've been emphasising your point <laughs> like a high court judge. Yeah. Um, but that's an interesting point about the character of young journalists because, mm. yes, they're coming with... Some will come in with the head of, I need to... Do what I need to do to get ahead. If I stitch some people up on the way, well, that's just part and parcel of this particular job. You're talking about long game. We've talked mm. about the importance of relationships as well. So let's frame that in a question about the character of young journalists coming through haters. Mm. Have they changed in recent times? Because suddenly they're a social media generation. Mm. This generation that you've got now will have come through social media there have been 10 or 12 when they'd have got onto it yeah. and they'd have been in, entirely immersed in it previous generations would have picked it up the sort of maybe 17 18 yeah so. it's uh it's interesting when you see them and they and you sort of first take them into a, a press conference or a press box to meet these people they've been quite happily standing outside the ground sort of slagging off or or typing in their bedroom you know just freely criticizing away and venting their opinions and quite you know quite within their rights to do that. And then they just get into a press box, they get around these other journalists and meet the manager or the player. And they sort of quite often can sort of shrink and become quite quiet. And oh yes sir, no sir, three bags, four sir. And they take a while. Others just breeze in there as if it's sort of just, you know, just take to it like a duck to water. And um, they're the ones that you want. They've got the confidence to go in there, ask questions, handle themselves well and sort of introduce themselves to other journalists. I don't think... I don't, think the, I don't think the characteristics have changed much, Rich, to you. I think there's still some really good sort of, there's some really good people in, the, in this industry. I and mean, as you know, it's quite easy to make friends in this business. There's some, you know, there's some decent people who generally, generally look after each other. Of course, they've got to look after their own patches. The newspaper, as we know, is, is up against it. The newspaper industry is up against it. So those guys are fighting their corner. And so they might not want an agency guy like us. Being in on in on the huddle, in on the information, because and I've seen those routes. Yeah, I've seen and, those. Seen, yeah and then you've got the clubs. You've got the people people running the clubs. They don't want the newspapers, the agencies getting in on it. We're always no one wants us around there half the time. And, and the newspapers <laughs> didn't want the clubs. No, I, I would. I had some words said at me about we don't want you in it. This is for us. Mm. So I had to make sure that I. In in essence, played by the newspaper rules over certain bits of content with mm. the deadlines and stuff like that yeah. and if I got it wrong woof, yeah. we, we, I had a few calls God, yeah. if we got it wrong but there's one there was an interesting there was an, I can't remember what the name of the um, publication was but somewhat an American author did a piece the other week about embargoes did you see that at all so it was uh, an American if I can say baseball sort of journalist who was sort of came over here for some reason and was getting involved sort of in the English sort of sports journalism world 
and was amazed by the system we have of embargoes. Because in America, they, don't, they, have, they have so much access and so much content, they just chuck it all out there. Absolutely. And that's, that, that was part of my job at Colorado, to feed some of this access. And I could not believe the inefficiency in comparison yeah. to England. But again, they don't need to be efficient because there's so much access. Mm. It makes a big difference. Sorry, go on. Well, yeah. So, I mean, for people who don't know, you might have... Let's take the, take the example of a, a pre-match press conference where in the Premier League... Uh, clubs were obliged to make a manager available to the radio, TV and newspapers in advance of a match so they can write previews for the match, which for them will encourage more people to go to the games, watch the games, subscribe to the TV channels. Everyone everyone profits out of it. And if a, a team is playing on a Sunday, it might be they do the press conference for that as early as a, a Friday, a Thursday or Friday, a few days before a game, so you have a broadcast section of the press conference where Sky and other TV channels and us for our YouTube channel will be filming that. There'll be little or no embargo on that. Sometimes clubs will let you stream that live or broadcast it live. It might be there's a half an hour embargo or so just for any misunderstandings to be sort of tidied up. Also to give the newspaper websites time to get something out so they're not completely made, their copy's not made completely redundant. After the broadcast section, there will be a an embargoed newspaper section for maybe next day's newspaper, which will be embargoed until 10.30 that evening, which is effectively for the next day's newspapers. But then you've got the Sunday newspapers. So you've got the Friday press conferences going out live, and you've got a newspaper bit for the Saturday's papers. But then the Sunday newspapers, that's the day of the game. They've got to get a big say on what's happening in this match, something different. So the Sunday newspaper guys will then get a chance to ask some questions and that will be embargoed until Saturday night. And it could be that everybody from all these different forms of media, including the club guys, some guy from a local paper, someone doing work experience, they could all be sitting in the same room listening to the same information. And it has been known that some people are either unaware of the embargoes and will just put something on Twitter or put it on their website, put it in the newspaper... And as you know, all hell will break loose. But that way of controlling it enables everyone to get a different bite of the cherry. It enables the reader to be able to read something different each day, to get something a different bit of content. Well, and, it, and it works really well. And it also allows the club not to be putting up a player or the manager each day, which is what's yeah. happening in America, where where MLS, it was, it was statue. Every player had to be available for 15 minutes every training session. Mm. Every training session had to be open with the exception of, I think it was half an hour, it was half an hour on the day before a game. Now, wow. so they could watch training and they could speak to every player and every coach every training session if they wanted to. It was a 15-minute window where they had to be available. It's part of my job to feed that. Mm. So... It was very different from my perspective. That was totally yeah. alien. What totally do you think is best? And of course, I had to open up the the locker room after the game. Oh yeah. And journalists were in the locker room. Uh, I had I had a stopwatch on me. I had a stopwatch on me. I had to slide across. Sorry, a shut to open for the locker room. Uh, and I had people watching me, and we'd be fine if I didn't do it in time. So they weren't necessarily in at that time because there was often a press conference on, but I had to make sure it was open mm. for them to go in. And, of course, they were in various states of undress and all that kind of stuff. Um, so what do I think is better? 
Well, I think more access is better. Yeah. Um, and you've got to remember that the American psychology, the players are incredibly good at being open. With Certainly with a sport like MLS, is slightly different from NBA and NFL because that players weren't on big salaries. They wanted to promote themselves. They wanted that PR, which would hopefully lead to some sort of extra commercialization and mm. extra money. A little bit different with the NFL and the NBAs. That must be. But, but it's cultural. It's cultural. Mm. Um, I, do think, I do think that the... British journalists much more efficient um, and it's something that I push back on with the fact that well do you need to speak to five players when you're only using you know mm. 50 words <laughs> I've got to run and get that player and it's going mm. to take up 20 minutes yeah. to get that player and get them there for like 50 words so I'm there thinking and I was head of digital and communication so I was there thinking well yeah it's taking me so long to service this well hang on that's affecting me as head of digital providing content for the club and content for the club is going to promote is going to in a market that where where the team that I was looking after were the fifth in, most important team in the mm. in the in the city and didn't get a great deal of coverage but again the newspaper will say well if you don't provide the access you won't get the coverage yeah so it's a bit chicken and egg but it was very very different I found that mm. issue of access it must foster better relationships between the, the media and the clubs more access because if I'm if I'm allowed to go and speak to any player I want after training and I'm, I'm interviewing him and he or she is then going to read that piece and react to it and we're going to build a relationship and trust and we're going to get more information out of them and it's going to make for it's going to make for better more interesting content and there is a terrible terrible um, lack of trust between if we're talking more about football between footballers and, and the media these days it's improving uh, international level under Gareth Southgate because he's made he's made England much more accessible. He remembers from his playing days he was much more pally with the journalist Gareth and his policy before that last World Cup in Russia was I'm going to open the doors and let, let let the press in let the players realise that they're not all big beasts and going to and they're going to stitch them up and I think the players reacted to that and that was partly why the nation fell in love with England again last summer, not just because they won a few more games, but yeah, because the, the, the players became much more likeable. We got to know a bit more about them and the press were more relaxed about covering England. Yeah, but to play devil's advocate there, isn't that also the press like this scenario? So they are talking positively about it because it suits their needs. Yeah, well, of course they like the scenario because it's, it suits... It suits their needs. So is, a fair, is that a fair reflection, therefore? Or is it there, this suits the press, so they're treating it a certain way? Just to no, no, I think it's just, it's just human, human nature. If people treat you well, you treat them well back, don't you? You treat as you, as you find. And if, if a club or a sporting organisation organization is treating the, the press like scum, then you're going to hang on a minute, you're going to react to that, aren't you, as a human, on a human level. And if people are treating you decently, then why you treat people decently back? And you're much more even... Minded when you're, you can still be very critical. You can still say Gareth Southgate got his tactics wrong, or John Stones misplaced a pass and was and shouldn't play for England again. You can still say that, but you, if you've got a bit more insight and access to the players, you see them training, you might be a bit more sympathetic to their sort of human frailties. I just want to go back to the video. You say you've moved away from doing text; it's more about video. So, what type of videos do you do now? At- aside from the press conferences and, and what sort of organisations are ordering from you, just purely talking about video now? It's sort of difficult to say because we're at a sort of a crossroads section in that historically and still today, most of our video content is, is news-driven. So it will be 
press conferences before football matches, press conferences after football matches, fans before and after. You know, with the boxing, there's a whole series of weigh-ins and interviews, and you know they really know how to put on a show and hype up that. But we are very, very keen to start making our own sort of shows, whether that's people talking about, experts talking about transfer news or doing these sort of in-how-to sort of videos where we show people how to, tactics of, of football or boxing or, or other sports, we want to get involved in horse racing and cricket. I think it's taking people behind the scenes. It's difficult, as you say, because the clubs and the people who own these properties, they have the access that we can only sort of dream of. You know, look at that. Manchester City documentary to going inside the dress. I know a lot of people said that Manchester City documentary was sort of a puff piece and it's always Manchester City fantastic. But, you know, certainly for the first episode or two of that, seeing inside the dressing room was quite a thrill for a lot of viewers because people don't get that access. And if we can get more access to players, maybe it's away from the football and do interviews with them where they're sort of doing their hobbies or their domestic life. I think we need yeah. to make more original content, yeah, whether right. that's our own shows or podcasts or... So the video you've been asked for is new space, but you're going to expand out yeah. into more bespoke video that's going to go deeper. Yes. Right. And we've got, you know, we've got an archive of video going back to the sort of early 2000s. You know, Mourinho's sort of first press conference with his mullet and so on. We've got all that stuff and we can, you know, we can See, create some... We there's can create that on YouTube. Lot, yeah, we can there's create some that. really interesting stuff. And the other thing is the... Just going back to text now, the, the nature of the orders that you've got... Have newspapers asked for different style? You know, the the I remember speaking to someone at PA and they said, well, we used to want our transfer rumours to be verified and now you just got to get the name in there at the top. Are the orders you're getting about text, about reports, have the style changed? Word lengths go down, mm. uh, different language, different... Well, we will learn um, reporting. If we're, um, you know, when we're working for newspapers, we're effectively their reporter for the day or the afternoon or the night, whatever. So we will work to their, you know, prescribed lengths and deadlines. And has that changed? No, that hasn't, that hasn't changed at all. And if we're sending out our own original information that we've generated, our own content, we will always source it and we will source where we got that information from so that the newspaper or the website have confidence in the fact that they know it's, bona fide, verified information. And that, that hasn't changed either. I mean, I think it used to be, there used to be the same that you need to have three independent sources, but I think one source, or people want to know where that information has come from, and we will always do that. And we have such a good reputation that people know that we wouldn't, we wouldn't, we wouldn't send out stuff that, was, that wasn't verified or verifiable. And how entrepreneurial do you have to be in the new space? Because you're saying you get orders in, but sometimes you are saying, well, we've got this, do you want it? Yeah. So so what ideas do you create yourself that you try and sell in and, and what's your entrepreneurial process? Well, that's a good question. I mean, you have to be, in the agency game, you have to be um, sort of a journalist, a creator, a salesman and, you know, a bit, a bit of everything. And, you know, we're, we're looking to recruit more of a sales team here to, help our journalists and our creators find homes for this for this new sort of content we're making. And the, the beauty of YouTube and social media is you can try things and fail and try again and succeed. And you can learning, you know, I'm learning more. I'm learning more now 
in my 50s at this sort of stage of my career than I have for sort of 15, 20 years because it's all, it's, and it's what keeping me engaged and excited. It's all new. I'm learning, I'm learning now from the 19, 20 year olds about different ways to make content and what, what people are interested in watching whilst also keeping an eye on what people of my age are interested in reading and watching. You know, so it's, and that's the interesting thing. It's not all about the young. No, it's not, no. Some of the skills we're talking about, connecting with people on social media, yes, you're going to have young people who are, who are excellent at that, but the markets that you have to watch videos and uh, uh, videos on newspaper sites or various sites and mm. newspaper text, that's not necessarily going to be a young market. It's certainly the text. No. So it's no. not just about the young. No, 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 not at all. No, so it's... Um, I hate that phrase of trying to be thing, all things to all men. You know, we're not in a position where we can say, right, we're only going to go for 19 to 35-year-olds. Although, coincidentally, the majority of people who watch our video content are men in their sort of between 20 and 35. But we didn't plan it, plan it that way. Do you see a haters, an agency, going down the model where you would buy in a star journalist, for example, and then syndicate their content? Because that's what you get in America. Mm-hmm. The newspapers that I would read when I was travelling around with the Rapids, I would see columns syndicated in the big city newspaper in Denver and in Chicago and whatever. Different model we've got here. The model has been with with the haters of this world. You get a star journalist and then they go on to a newspaper. Mm. They get poached. Do you see that possibly changing where if you want to do more in-depth stuff, well... You take someone the other way and then sell their way. Yeah, but we have a completely different newspaper industry to America where, you know, in California, people reading in Los Angeles, those papers, are not, they're not going to be reading the same papers in, in New York. So you can syndicate different things. And when, when I started out the Haters, there were some weekly syndicated columns. Uh, at the Ham and High, we did the Martin Keown and I used to speak to Crossy every week. Yeah. And he, we used to talk about ideas. Right, yeah. Um, and I, I, that wasn't the only place you were, the teamwork at the time, were putting the Keown column, was it? Or no. No, it was going to a few places. Yeah, yeah. So, so um, that was syndicated. Yeah. Ghosted columns with personalities. But you couldn't see it with journalists. I, I think syndicated stuff doesn't work so well in, in the UK anyway because every newspaper wants their own individual content. They don't want syndicated columns they want exclusive content and they've got the staff now we talk about the sort of decline in numbers of journalists but you know, these new sort of organizations have got seven day operations they've got huge staffs and they can afford to they do buy in lots of star name sort of, sort of content i think um i can't see I can't, in terms of sort of getting in star names the future for us is more like to be getting in star name presenters to present our video or TV stuff or documentaries, that would be more likely where we're going to spend money on people in terms of names, for want of a better name. (laughs) (laughs) And where you sell your content, is the majority of it in the UK or do you you create content that can go elsewhere? Obviously, it's presumably it's in the English language, a lot of it, or the majority of it. Yeah. Um... Well, it's also it's it's international. I mean, yeah. I mean, come on, boy. If anyone wants to buy it from anywhere in the world, <laughs> they're welcome. We we accept all currencies. <laughs> you got a PayPal account, so yeah, we have got a PayPal account. Yeah, there's a, in fact, there's a there's a guy in the states who takes a lot of our boxing stuff. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, there are so many rights holders, international rights holders, the Premier League. This is one of the reasons it's hard to get interviews sometimes at a, a football match because the the players and the managers have to do sort of fifteen twenty 
rights holders interviews before they get round to the non-rights holders guys. And they're tired. Even if they do it, they're tired. Yeah. They've been asked everything. Someone will have asked them something that's cheesed them off four interviews ago, mm. and you're getting the backlash, mm. and you're getting the arms folded. It's very, very hard, but that's the job of a news agency. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That you're filling the gaps, as it Fill were. Filling the gaps, yeah. In, in the nicest possible way. We take the rough... We take the rough... We have to be very light-footed and... Just ready to, ready, you know, as any journalist does for any organisation, just be adapt to any situation, what's going on, whether the, a player's available or not available, deadlines are changing, floodlights are going out, there's no Wi-Fi, there's no phone lines. Sometimes, somehow you've got to get that story across and God, God deliver it. And we always find a way, whether we're, we're a staff man on the Mirror of the Times or PA or an agency, it's just what journalists do. I was going to ask you about the qualities you need. If you're a young person, if, if a young person is listening to this and thinking about their career and you know, we're still saying that agencies as part of that career, that build-up. What are you looking for in that? It's um, a passion. It's just, you know, it's a bit cliche, but it's just a passion and a determination, really, because it's so easy to be sort of put off and get knocked back in this profession. People just tell you, oh, there's no, there's no future in it. Oh, the game's gone and just don't do it. There's no money in it. But if you, if you love sport and you love telling a story, there's no better, there's no better profession. To succeed, you just have to be determined to sort of just go the extra mile to keep. You have to work bloody hard. You have to do long hours, unsociable hours. And in a way, that's what makes the job more enjoyable too. Because personally, I couldn't think of anything worse than getting up doing a nine to five. The young guys who can see that, that that's what they have to do. They're prepared to cancel some family dinner or birthday outing at the last minute to go and attend events. Then they're the ones that succeed. It's not always the best writers or the best the most skilled people that succeed it's the most determined passionate people that do it but what skills do you need now because it used to be writing yeah and if, if is it more relationships is it more production skills is it more i mean yeah, well, unless hard work is just a quality yeah. which I, also, I read somewhere the other day that some of i can't remember what the organization in america is sort of dispensing with journalists who do not have multimedia skills and everyone who works for haters now is able to first of all be a journalist to recognize a story be able to tell a story so to write have new sense but also they will be able to use a video camera to one level or another to film a press conference and also to edit that content to load it to, to distribute it on every sort of conceivable level and for the first time in my sort of working years and we're trying to recruit an editor at the moment someone who can edit video You've not had one till now. You've always no, had we, we've, we've always had. So we've we've retrained people in house, or we've we've recruited people who have journalists who have editing skills, and they've developed them, developed those skills under us. But we're getting to a level now where we've got so much content. We just need someone who doesn't want to go and report on the match. Who doesn't want to go and tell the story, go to the match, but just is happy to sit at a computer and edit. It's just, it is a it's a skill, as you know, it's a skill in its own right. And they can't be distracted wanting to go to cover the cup final when they've got to edit the video from the cup final. Just while I'm thinking about content, video content, how do you send it out? I mean, are you, are you putting finished press conferences raw on an FTP? Are you clipping it up and making uh, the component parts of a potential news item with cutaways and mm. this, that and the other? How are you actually presenting specifically the video? Well, we will always... Um, we always pride ourselves on being able to service 
any sort of client's needs. So if if a client wants coverage of a cup final and they want the the the, the press conference coverage and they want cutaways, we'll give them cutaways. If they want it edited to two minutes, three minutes, five minutes, or they want the whole thing, we can do that. You know, the modern technology allows you to do these things very quickly and, and everyone is trained to the sufficient standard to do that. You know, if Maurizio Pochettino does a 25-minute pre-match press conference, which he does every week, and someone wants all of that, then they'll get that in HD broadcast quality from the moment he walks in to the moment he walks out. If they want the best 30 seconds or the best 90 seconds, the best three minutes edited together, they'll get that. And as a business, how have your peaks and troughs gone? Because presumably it's... Has it been hairy at any time? <laughs> it's been, yeah, it's a real, it's a hell of a roller coaster journey. Um, yeah, but I tell you what, every every time a door closes, and that you know, it's I, what a journalist I am. All these cliches, you know, another one opens. It's another opportunity. The rugs keep getting pulled out from underneath you, but then there's an opportunity to do, to do something else because the demand is there. Because yeah. people love sport and they want yeah. a story. Yeah. And there are more. There's you know, there's never been so much sport as it seems. Every day there's something else going on. Well, and there's more coverage. Mm. I mean, I mean, I'm a big county cricket fan, and you're getting streamed county games uh, all the time, and you're getting second eleven games. Yeah. You never used to get any of this. No. This is you know, back in the day when I was a I was a teenager, you didn't used to get live coverage of of England cricket overseas, no. and the, and the FA Cup was the only game on television. Everyone watched right? the FA Cup, fun, yeah. It, you know? Absolutely, and now we you know we. We expect to watch, be able to watch what we want, when we want. And if and if there are under 23 or under 19 or reserve games going on at football clubs, they're going to be streamed. Someone is streaming them somewhere. They're going out. There's, someone's filming them. So there are opportunities for more and more people to work in this industry. It might not be the traditional going along with a notebook and pen saying, you know, going up to George Graham asking for his injury news before a game. It's going to be different aspects of it. But if you want to be involved in sport... Up close and personal, there are more and more opportunities to get involved. So, in that respect, probably no better time to be involved. So I'm last, talking my way around to be a bit more positive. Yeah. Right so, like, well, the, as the, as therapy sessions go, you were down <laughs> when we started, and now you're up at the end. So, I will give my, just my final question. As always, looking towards the future, you were alluding to it. You think we're on on an upslope at the moment. You you you're seeing a shining light. Yes. I mean, if I take sports media as a whole because you know we're not um we're not print based agency and and newspapers too you know newspapers are still you know tell you that they're still making money and their their websites are growing and they're looking at other you know they've got they're doing podcasts and all sorts of different ways to sort of attract sponsorship and advertising revenue i mean god i'm just trying to think how many times we heard on newspapers dead you know i'm i'm going to be the last generation of a newspaper reporter there's been about three or four of them come and gone since I've been working, it seems. I mean, you've had Today Die and you had the in- independent go digital yeah. only. So you have had some changes, but you haven't had the the huge... And you've had local newspapers. Mm. They've died. A lot of those have died. Hundreds yeah. and hundreds have died. Nationals still seem to be pretty strong, albeit yeah. they're more bunched in groups, aren't they? Mm. I, th- I think. Yeah, and you know, actual sort of sales figures are down, aren't they? Not yeah, oh, so, not so many people buy papers. They've but, halved in ten years, but that doesn't yeah. include that's the physical ones, not the digital ones. Mm. The Daily Mail website, as you said, most read newspaper website in the world. Yeah. A huge success, not only in advertising, 
audience as well. So and, and I read digital versions of newspapers on my on my phone and on my computer as well. And I don't necessarily necessarily see every newspaper. You know, we used to have in our office was stacked high with piles of paper. Every newspaper, every edition could get hold of every day. And that was the only way to sort of find out whether your stories had got in the papers. But now you can do that online too. And you still keeping up with all the stories, you can still read all the information without having to buy newspapers. Which is, you know, it sounds like a sad thing. I personally still like to pick up a newspaper and the feel of it, the smell of it, and in an old-fashioned way. But I consume much more newspaper content on my phone than in paper form. Where that leads us, I, I don't know. I think there, there'll still be place for newspapers long after I'm gone, hopefully. I mean, that's presume I have a long life. Um, I want to try and end this on an up, Nick. Good. You keep, you keep on car coming down. <laughs> I'm a miserable, down. I'm a miserable no, you're swan. you're fine, you're fine, you're fine. <laughs> fine. I'll get some more water. <laughs> but, all right, so these are exciting times because... Well, I, I slightly contradicted myself there because, in a way, I said, you know, it's, it's never been easier to sort of report information and create content. And anyone can do and it and with a smartphone. Yeah. And video's enough, so just pointing mm. a video and turning on... Uh, a, uh, a and pressing the big red button and yeah. answering a question and parroting a question that you've heard done before will create you content. Yeah. Yes, but, but you could you're not... saying there's skill in that. There is, there is, there is, there is a skill in that, and there's also at the same event. There's someone someone can write a thousand word match report or a report on an event, color piece, which people there's there's a place for everything at the moment. I think you know if my twelve year old daughter's only got attention span of watching a six second TikTok video, then then fair enough, you know. If my dad wants to read the Sunday Times all, all Sunday afternoon, then there's room for that too. There's room for everyone, and there's room for every media. It's fantastic. <laughs> it's sport. I love it. <laughs> Nick Callow, thank you very much. Thank you, Richard. You can find Sports Content Strategy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Go to sportscontentstrategy.com for more information and to sign up to the newsletter. Richard is at Mr. Richard Clark on all social media. Read his blog at mrrichardclark.com. Mr.